In today's competitive e-commerce environment, it's never been more important to earn and maintain the trust of your customers. Merchant Fraud Journal's To Catch a Fraudster podcast is supported by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. SIFT empowers companies to stop fraud and grow without risk. Visit SIFT.com assessment to schedule a consultation with SIFT's trust and safety architects. Industry experts who have decades of fraud fighting experience at companies like Facebook, Square, and Google. They'll help create a custom plan for your business with an emphasis on technology, organizational structure, and process. Visit sift.com slash assessment today. Hey everyone, this is Bradley Chalupski, co-founder and editor-in-chief at MerchantFraudJournal.com. In this episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different, but that I am extremely proud to be able to bring you as a publication. We're going to be speaking with Aaron Kaler. He's the founder of the Anti-Human Trafficking Intelligence Initiative, and we had a far-ranging discussion about how e-commerce fraud and human trafficking and slavery intersect. It was absolutely eye-opening for me. I think of all the episodes that we've done, this is for sure the most important, but also one of the most enjoyable conversations that I've had. I really hope everyone listening will take the time to get informed about this issue. It's something that goes on in the shadows of our community that we are empowered to be able to make even a small, small dent in suffering that is still going on in our world today from human trafficking. Hope you listen to the whole episode. I'll be releasing it in two parts. This one will be the first half of the conversation and will be an informative discussion about how the world of human trafficking works. And then in the second episode, which I'll be releasing subsequent to this one, we'll get into a lot more of the tips and tricks and, and actionable items that you can use once you know how to identify what's going on to actually prevent this type of activity at your e-commerce store. Thank you so much to Aaron for coming on the podcast. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out either to us or to him for more information. And as always, you can get all the latest merchant fraud tips and tricks at merchantfraudjournal.com. And we're live. Aaron, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So this is going to be an absolutely incredible episode. I am so excited, I guess, is the word I'll use, although obviously I wish we didn't have to do episodes like this, but tell everyone who you are, where you're from, who you represent, and then we'll take it from there. Sure. Uh, my name is Aaron Kaler. I am the founder and CEO of the Anti-Human Trafficking Intelligence Initiative. Uh, we call ourselves ATII or Team ATII. Um, I'm from New York originally, spent most of my career in Manhattan, and am now located in uh, North Carolina uh, for the last six years or so. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization dedicated to uh, eradicating human slavery, uh, modern slavery, human trafficking, child exploitation, and child sexual abuse material. Uh, through disrupting networks and applying data technology and, and, and advanced analytics and intelligence to the problem as a whole. Just 
doing amazing work. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast to help us shine light on this terrible, terrible subject that really needs all the attention that it can get. And the reason that we connected was because on a previous podcast, I spoke with Rich Stuppy from Count, and he was talking about the connection between fraud and human trafficking. And it was something that even having been in the industry for quite a long time now, I had never really thought of it that way, quite frankly. We're very caught up in business imperatives here, some personal security and people's identities getting stolen, but this is a a whole nother level of crime. I, I would even dare say that versus stealing money, that it's just not in the same category to me. And the thought that fraudsters, not even fraudsters, that terrible human beings, criminals are using fraud and e-commerce fraud to perpetuate their crimes just always haunted me. And that's why I actually just reached out to you on LinkedIn. And I really appreciated you responding to me to just the cold LinkedIn uh, message, which I think the hit rate on those is pretty low. So I was really excited when you responded. And I just thank you so much for coming on here. And I'm really happy that we're able to delve into this topic more. And I hope everyone out there who works in fraud prevention that's listening to this, listen to this entire episode. It's so important. It's such a, it's such an important topic and such a good deed that we can do as a community to make even the slightest impact on this type of thing. So thank you. Thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on. I I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. Um, You know, being able to speak to your listeners and and use this platform to, to build uh, awareness around anti-human trafficking and what, you know, actual organizations, corporations, and the, the, you know, the folks working in fraud and investigations and risk and compliance can do on their end and being be aware of is, is, you know, something that that is, is a big part of our mission and of our message. Um, and as far as, you know, LinkedIn goes, uh, you know, my LinkedIn box is a, is a war zone. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a full time <laughs> job just going through LinkedIn messages, right, for, for, for folks in this industry and others. Um, but, I, you know, I saw your message and, uh, you know, having a platform like this to, to, to spread the message uh, on uh, and awareness is, is, you know, something that I couldn't uh, ignore. So thank you. All right. Uh, our pleasure, really. So I guess let's start at the beginning and talk about the ecosystem of human trafficking and slavery generally, because certainly I don't know much, if anything, about it. I know that it exists, but it's not something that touches my everyday life, my everyday thoughts. So our listeners, before we delve into what they can do to help, I'm sure many of them would just need the 30,000 foot or maybe 10,000 foot overview of how this still goes on in 2021 in some kind of systematic way, not even just in pockets of the world, but literally systematically. Please explain that to us. Sure. So I'm going to I'm going to start off this explanation by saying number 1 I am not a expert in human trafficking. Um I am uh I'm not a survivor, I'm not a victim, I'm not somebody that that 
that is a true expert or somebody that that studied for this. Uh, I have 20 plus years experience in uh, financial crime, regulatory compliance, fraud management, uh, risk advisory, and, and and so forth. And you know, I saw a um, you know I saw discrepancies. I saw what lapses in compliance and best practices and regulations and 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 investigation in in how the the commercial industry and financial institutions uh, was doing a lot around other financial crimes and not enough around trafficking. And two years ago, that made me um, explore this further and use my my background and and network and and experience and so forth to to start the nonprofit organization. Um, so I just wanted to start off by saying that there are there are many organizations, groups, NGOs, and experts that are more qualified to give you the background on what human trafficking is, what it means, and so forth. But you know that being said, I will uh, respond the best I can. In you know human trafficking uh, as a whole, and and from especially from the financial pr perspective, is, is one of the uh, very close to the most lucrative uh, crimes that from a criminal organization or an individual perspective that somebody can um, get involved with if they're, if they're looking to make money through crime. Um, and, you know, drug trafficking is, is, you know, likely number one, but if all, uh, you know, if all the, the poppy fields in Afghanistan and, and the and the cocoa and, and 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 cocaine being developed in marijuana in South America and other countries was was to go away tomorrow. Um, human trafficking and the ex exploitation of people would be the number one uh, source of generating criminal income. Um, you know, you can you can take a drug once that's produced, but you can use the person uh, many many times a day uh, and on a daily basis. There's no production, there's no growing. Uh, there is something called grooming in that um, lot, there's many types of uh, human trafficking, exploitation of people. Um, it isn't just taking people, kidnapping them, smuggling, although that is a way that, that trafficking can occur. Um, but the most common way in which it, 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 it occurs uh, has to do with grooming people. Um, finding, uh, locating, identifying, and, and working and talking to and exploiting and understanding, understanding vulnerabilities of vulnerable people uh, is, is the main source. So whether it's um, individuals that are in other countries, in poor villages and so forth, that are, are looking for an escape, their families are looking for money, they're... Um, being offered opportunities to leave their village, leave their family, to, to earn an income for themselves and their family and exploiting that and, uh, you know, not uh, allowing these people to do the jobs and things that they're promised to. Um, you know, that's an aspect of, of exploit, exploiting the vulnerable. Um, when it comes to online grooming and reaching out to younger people or, or even adult people and, and, Building a relationship, letting you know, getting them to trust you, understanding their fears, what they want, um, you know, what's going to shame them, and and getting them to 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 bend to your will. Um, so, so that's I a, wanna, that's, a, that's a, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I so I want to get into, I want to take this whole process, if, if that's what you would call it, from start to finish in maybe a theoretical case to really give it a concrete feeling. What I'd like to do, if we can, is start with a grooming scenario, how that would work and what that would look like. And then once we get to a certain point where the money starts to come in. Sure. Um, you know, for, for the listeners here, um, some of this can be a little bit disturbing and I'll, I'll try to be sensitive in, in how I describe. Um, first, I'll say that picking one scenario doesn't do justice to all the other scenarios and ways. I mean, there, there are of hundreds of thousands of ways in which people are attractive, uh, are trafficked, exploited, and so forth. But, you know, for these purposes, I'll, I'll describe a scenario um, that, you know, I think will appeal to, you know, mothers, fathers, uh, professionals, and, and, and people, family members that are listening and out there. Um, so, you know, starting from social media, uh, Facebook or, or Instagram or, or whatever you use, somebody that's looking to traffic somebody, and it doesn't have to be a crim- criminal network. It doesn't have to be organized crime. It could be a one-off person that is looking to exploit one person or has a small group of people that they're exploiting and found. Um, they identify a, a girl or a woman. Uh, we'll, we'll say a girl, uh, a younger girl in, in high school. Um, they identify something that they're someone that they're interested in. Um, and they'll do that by by just looking at social media, seeing what what they think they they they're interested in and trying to figure out their vulnerabilities. They hone in on this person. Uh, they start building and making a relationship with this person. Um, they can present themselves as a, uh, a grown uh, a man, a boy. They can present themselves as a, a friend. They can present themselves and, and, and set up a, uh, a profile with a, with a picture and presence of somebody, a girl that they're already trafficking or working with. A lot of times they may, they may befriend the person that they're looking at, build a relationship with them and convince this person to, to meet them out and say, hey, they're presenting themselves as a woman. We want to go out. Um, let's go to the club. Let's go to the bar. Let's go somewhere. We'll be able to get you in if you don't have ID. Don't worry about money. We got it. Just want to hang out. They're, they're going out with, with the impression that they're hanging out with maybe a girl slightly older, cooler, has money, has means, buy them drinks, buy them gifts, whether it, if it's a long-term relationship, build trust and introduce them to the trafficker or the pimp. Lay guilt or lay shame. We bought you all these drinks. We bought you these gifts. You, you owe us. You, and once you get them out, out of their comfort, comfort zone. Drugs can be involved, getting a hotel and, and drugging somebody for a couple of days, forcing them to do things and break their will that they, they don't intend to do. People do this, they go back home and still live their normal life, uh, going to school, going to practice, but their will's been broken and they're, they don't want their parents, they don't want their friends and family, they want life to be normal. So they continue to work for the trafficker and do what they tell them to under threats. Sometimes they they get them addicted to drugs and things, and they don't go home. They stay with the, the trafficker. Over, over the course of time, um, this person can, can maintain being somebody that's, that's used and exploited traffic for sex after it's been a period of time, whether they 
stay involved and, and they may graduate or build, grow into a, a different position where they're not just doing it, but they're going out functioning the same way they were recruited and recruiting other girls to bring into the, the fold. So it sounds like you're presenting a scenario where you have vulnerable people online, they're approached in an organized, systemic, strategic way where they now feel that they need to act in, in a way that is subservient to the trafficker. Yeah, the, I mean, give or take some details, um, it can occur a lot of different ways. It can be very opportunistic in that somebody may be just online looking and trying to build relationships and, and just having a one-time thing. And then they, they get into this relationship with this person that they can exploit. You know, they may not have thought that they would become a trafficker or do this to somebody, but the opportunity was there and they were empowered to do it. So there's a lot of different scenarios and situations, but to your, to your point, that is an accurate representation of something that, that can and does happen. Okay. So talk to me about the money trail here, as much as I hate using that phrase in this context, I think it's appropriate. What is the strategy on the part of these traffickers to try and profit off the exploitation and take us through where that type of activity will appear to our audience when they're sitting at work? Sure. Um, So like any financial crime, there's a lot of different ways in which payments are are made and operations are run. When it comes to to trafficking and sexual exploitation in more direct peer-to-peer type ways, gift cards are a huge factor in which uh, payments are processed for trafficking and child sexual uh, exploitation. Purchasing gift cards in certain amounts to be to use to pay to to avoid detection and so forth. So we have we have a a scenario where somebody has gained the trust of someone that's vulnerable. They are now in a position to exploit them financially. What are the types of crimes that are being committed here? So we you you mentioned sex trafficking, which I assume you mean things like webcams, different pornography sites, places like that. Are there other types of places where payment is going through the money system to exploit these victims? Yeah. Um, Massage parlors. There are a lot of online sex ad sources and our organization scrapes illicit sex sites, massage parlor sites, and forum sites. To, to find these sex ads and investigate them. Restaurants and other types of retail organizations that may be dealing in other types of trafficking, like labor trafficking. So um, let's, I wanna, I wanna dive into these. When, when these businesses are operating, are they operating on a, a cash basis? Are they operating on a card basis? You mentioned gift cards. How is the money moving through this system? So I'll I'll give a a couple scenarios here. One thing we do, like I mentioned, is we scrape illicit sex sites. In doing that, we'll find sometimes links and mentioning of how they'd want to be paid. They may reference uh, certain companies, retail organizations, where they would like to have a gift card from. Typically, what we see is the gift card request or or financial request is usually in, in a pretty similar amount of about $60 when it comes to paying for sex. In ads, you you can see a reference to a gift card and where they would 
what they what they're looking to be paid in. You can see references to money service businesses or companies that that are alternative payment methods. I'm trying I'm trying not to name the names of organizations that we may work with or maybe helping or something along those lines. Many times they're indicating how they may want to be paid. Uh, if that's not indicated, which oftentimes it's not, if it's a if it's a business, so you'll see there might be a sex ad and it may not even mention uh, the fact that it's a massage parlor or, or some business. But then when we scrape the site and we get the telephone number and email address or something, cross-reference it and a reverse search or of some sort, um, we see that, okay, this is a massage parlor. Oh, this is a nail salon. It's not an individual. Through that cash, credit card, however that massage parlor or other business typically operates, they're accepting payments that way. So you mentioned a little bit the characteristics of these payments. I think this is a crucial, crucial point for our audience. Can you give me as much detail as you can or are willing to give about some of the characteristics of these payments that people on our end of the fence will see? Data science that goes into trying to find specific patterns and then also be human fraud analysts that will look at these orders when they fall into a, a gray area where the algorithm may or may not be, uh, be certain based on the level of risk that you're willing to tolerate, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a human looking at it. Yep. So first of all, I'll say that there are a lot of different ones. Some of them uh, cross between multiple industries. Many of them do uh, from a visual to a transactional pattern to a, to a, a, um, a, habit uh, type of different types of habits, the way people that are being exploited or are doing the exploiting transact. We have a red flags document that I'll provide you that you can put in the notes for, for your viewers that cover a lot of these things in a number of different industries. There, there's banking, there's cryptocurrency, there's retail flags, there's hospitality flags, there's uh, payment processing flags. A couple things to be mindful of in, in general, if you're seeing trans, if you have access to look at that $60 amount is something that, that is often related to, to, to gift cards, you know, transactions and occurring at late to morning hours for a business that wouldn't normally operate at that time as a flag. When it comes to online retailers and folks that are selling things online and shipping them out, a lot of times the, the purchases will be made for businesses. So it's a certain type of business and they're ordering bulk condoms, bulk uh, feminine products, different things that can correlate to hey, why would this business be, be ordering this in bulk and, and, and having this? There's a lot of common sense types of flags. And I know that's easy to say and, and doesn't give your readers a, a lot of understanding, but it really is common sense. When you, when you look at your KYC, you know your customer, you know your client, you know the business and look at it through that lens. It, it, it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of content, a lot of flags that that can be applied to different industries and, and looked at. It's really going to be based on, on who's looking at it and what types of access algorithms and so forth. So financial institutions, whether it's banks, whether it's crypto, whether it's a money service business, whether it's a payment processor, they have different regulatory requirements, compliance, expectations, best practices and procedures. 
in comparison to retail, online retailers and so forth, you'll see the algorithms, the rules, the amount of due diligence that needs to go into understanding your customer something is like night night and day. You know, financial institutions are required to do this stuff in a significant way, which yields more investigations and opportunities. Other industries do not have the same regulatory burden and mandate, and many of them don't do much. Lots of them do do above and beyond just working with law enforcement and responding to subpoenas and, and, and legal requests. There are a few that we work at with that we consider best practices, best case scenario in which they're meeting their mandate and then doing more, even though they're not required to. That being said, there's so much more that we can bring if these organizations are to work more proactively around preventing human trafficking and exploitation, as opposed to just reactively when, when law enforcement or somebody comes knocking at the door to ask questions. Right. So I have a couple, I have a couple follow-up questions from, from what you just said. The first one is I want to make sure that we also touch upon systematic flags. So a lot of times in our industry, you will have individual orders, data points that are important to the algorithm, but many times on this podcast and in general, people have spoken about it's not just that you see one order. It's that all of a sudden you notice there are a lot of orders coming from a certain area and you need to be looking out for that as well. So you gave some individual level at a systematic level when these organizations are operating. I understand that sometimes it might just be an opportunist, a, a one-off person, but when you're talking about organized crime rings that are doing these types of things, is there any kind of broader systematic shift that people can be looking for in the transactions that are running through their, their store? Uh, are you, you're talking online stores or, or retail physical stores? Either one, uh, online or retail. Any, any okay. red flags that would go on that people would be able to notice at any level? Sure. So um, I'm going to talk about gift cards because I, I'd like to tell your listeners about uh, a lot of the unique work we're doing and, and, and growing to do in gift cards. So retails, when it comes to gift cards, whether you're purchasing them online, which is a whole other beast in and of itself, or whether you're purchasing them in a store, gift cards being purchased in large amounts frequently by common individuals like a, a victim or a, a potential trafficker. When organizations are actually taking telephone numbers, email addresses, and other information, being able to recognize that this telephone number, this email address, whatever is being collected, or if the organization does that, that really links together a transactional pattern that can be looked at later within, within systems, right? Like I said, the, the, the gift cards being purchased, purchased in $60 increments, that would be something that a John would do, uh, somebody that's looking to purchase. So if regularly a telephone number, email address, or, or name, whatever is being collected, gets linked to a person that, that every week or several times a month is, is purchasing a $60 gift card, that's a good indicator that they're just a normal guy that's going out and looking to, to, to purchase sex. And then whether that sex they're pur purchasing is, is related to human trafficking or to just normal prostitution it is a whole other thing, but something to be mindful of either way. Gift cards being purchased in large amounts in cash. Anytime cash is paid for gift cards and it's not just a one-off, 
that's that's a that's a flag that should be considered not just a flag for trafficking but could be a trap a uh, flag for a lot of different financial crime being purchased in in large frequencies like i said with names and telephone numbers being purchased by females ages 15 to 30 if you're working at a if you're a cashier or somebody working at a store and, and you females at a younger age are coming in buying multiple gift cards uh, or more than once, that, that should be a red flag. It's something that you think about and look at as, a, as somebody that's a, a teller or somebody working in a store. And then you get into the second phase of using common sense. Well, how does this, this girl have the money or whatever to do this? What does she look like? Does she look like she's on drugs? Does she look strung out? Does she look like she's being coerced by somebody? Does she look afraid? Is she, will she not speak? Is it awkward? Those are red flags that may give you an inclination and may, may make you want to call somebody or report something. That's a simple few examples. Okay. And maybe can we go into online as well? I want to make sure that we, we touch all the bases here. The, the yeah. online world, I'm sure it's much more difficult because it's anonymous and there aren't these physical body cues for people to pick up on. But is there, is there a pattern here that would distinguish it from other types of fraud that, that might go on? Um, and if so, how do you separate the, the signal from the noise? Yeah. So sticking with gift cards, e-gift cards are a particular area of concern. You you can purchase them immediately online at any given time, and you can send them to whatever email address you want. So you can use fake guest accounts and names, numbers, different things, open email accounts specifically to do this, which makes tracing very, very difficult. And based on the maturity of the organization and the systems in which they're operationally selling these could be almost completely autonomous um, in in doing that. And then also oftentimes e-gift cards are purchased and then sold to different websites, allowing traffickers to collect cash for gift cards and so forth. So the traffickers may be accepting gift cards physically from the Johns that the Johns give it to the girl, the girl gives it to the trafficker, and then they're selling, they get a ton of gift cards and then they're, they're selling them back to online retailers that sell gift cards uh, as a repository of gift cards. And obviously they can get paid for doing that and then, and then the site can sell it separately, but also that prevents them from having to go into a store, maybe buy something and then return it to get the cash back. So deterring, it's a deterrent to uh, allowing them to sell it off as a deterrent for them physically having to find a way to monetize that gift card and get back cash or, or something out of it. I also want to go into, I feel like now we've covered the most direct way that the money is flowing through organizations that our listeners can be on the lookout for. I'm also interested to hear what you have to say about the idea of these organizations laundering money through legitimate businesses. And what I mean by that is I can envision scenarios where if I am taking in a bunch of money in a sex trafficking ring and I want to somehow clean this money. That's it for part one of the conversation with Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes where you'll get all the information that was provided to us by the Anti-Human Trafficking Intelligence Initiative so that you can do everything you can 
to make a dent in this important topic. Tune in next time for part two, where we'll go even more in depth into what you can do to prevent these types of crimes when you see them. Take care, everyone.